And so let's read Colossians 2, verses 9 through 15. This is the word of God. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having given, forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that are against, was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this text. Lord, perhaps hard to grasp all that Paul is saying here. And we confess with Peter there are many times when we feel this way about Paul. Perhaps few that are more confusing than when he talks about the sacraments. And yet, Lord, we pray with faith this evening that you would displace the scales, if scale there be, so that we might fully appreciate the beauty of what you have given us here tonight at this table and in the waters of baptism. So, Lord, uh, begin this work of sight within us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. It, uh, it strikes me that Spurgeon's comments there about, uh, in the hymn we just sang, which was by Charles Spurgeon, uh, that if eyes defiled and dim, we, we see the signs, that would be bread and wine, bread and juice, and don't see Christ, Christ displaced the scales so that we might see you. I think that hymn gets at the heart of a big problem in the church today and throughout the centuries with the sacraments. We don't understand what a sacrament is or is intended to be correctly, and so we lose the the beauty of the vision of the grace of God in Christ in the same depth that it is offered. How should we think about the sacraments? Two negatives tonight, and then two positives. Uh, The two negatives have to do with uh, the reason, I think, why we don't appreciate the sacraments rightly or see the grace of God in them correctly. Uh, And they're both extremes. So the, the first negative is the sacraments are not magical. Uh, What should I think about the sacraments? Well, we should not think of them as magical. And that's exactly how many think of the sacraments. The doing of the act makes something happen. So we think of the Roman Catholic Church 
and maybe we think of the Lutherans as well, that they might not think that's fair, but of, of an idea of here at the Lord's table, something happens, and uh, the bread and the juice, in the Roman Catholic view, becomes Christ's actual body. And the Lutheran view, uh, well, he's hovering around in, um, you know, it, it doesn't change, but somehow he's here at the table, uh, personally, physically. Uh, there, there's something magical going on there. And, and yet that's not the only way we can think of the sacraments magically. Think of Constantine waiting to be baptized until the last possible second. He wanted to be baptized on his deathbed. Why? Because the washing of regeneration and baptism would wipe out all of his sins. And so you want as many of your sins wiped out before you go before the throne of God as possible. You want to wait until the last second because magically, you know, let's not talk about repentance, baptism. See, we, we look at these sacraments in kind of a mystical, magical way. I emphasize the word magical because you could say the sacraments are mystical and mean a correct thing by it. The reformers do that. Uh, Calvin likes talking about the mystical, the mystical union we have with Christ in the Lord's Supper. But what he does not mean by that is that something magically is happening. Uh, or, or maybe we could think of uh, the magical aspect uh, in a more subtle fashion. Uh, you know, we kind of, <laughs> those Roman Catholics, that the bread becomes the body of Christ. Uh, and yet, how many evangelicals think, just by taking it, I'll be holier. Just by taking it, something good will happen to me. Disregarding, as the Corinthians did, the proper taking of the Lord's Supper. And so we don't prepare our hearts and our minds. We don't look at the supper correctly. We think, if I just take it, something good will happen to me. Or if I just receive the waters of baptism, I will be a Christian. Maybe you would never say such a thing, but it's not hard to find people who, if you ask them, are you a Christian, their response would be, sure, I was baptized in 19... Whatever. At, at, right after that, whatever, who, whomever, uh, uh, revival service, I went down to the waters and was baptized. That's a magical view, in one sense, of the sacraments. Thinking that the spiritual thing happens because the sacrament has been done, but not in such a manner that connects it to faith within the person receiving it. A magical view. The sacraments are not magical. Uh, in views like that, justification ceases to truly be by uh, grace through faith alone, and, and now it's through this thing I've done. I am accepted and made right before God because I showed up Sunday night with seven other people. And I took the bread and the juice. How holy am I? We, we could be tempted in that way at times. But the sacraments are not magical. The Bible does not present them as magical. It, in fact, 
Think about how 1 Corinthians, Paul warns that if you're just taking it, thinking that just doing the thing is going to make a difference, you better watch out. It might do a negative thing. If you're taking it in the wrong way, you might receive punishment instead of blessing. It's not a magical blessing just because you were there at the time. Uh, But then there's the other extreme, the other negative. The sacraments are not mere memorials. And I think in Protestantism, that would be the majority view in our day and age. Mere memorials. Uh, I have godly, reformed brothers, uh, preachers at uh, independent churches, not too different from our own. And when I've glanced at what they have to say about the sacraments on their website, even though 99% of other topics, I, uh, I would put a check mark right next to what they say. I get to this topic and it just reads memorial, a remembrance of this, a remembrance of that, a remembrance of the other thing, all of which may be appropriate remembrances. But that's where it stops. A mere memorial. And in the Reformation, they went to great lengths to argue that it was not merely a remembrance of things, only a remembrance of things. First Peter 3.21, for example, shows us uh, one of those difficult texts, shows us that it cannot be simply enough to say that it's a mere memorial. There, Peter writes... There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism! Not the removal of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think think about that. Think about Colossians 2, which we read, where Paul and Peter both here are using the language of baptism... And then talking about the salvation that took place within you. That's not a mere memory. Now, what do you do with that? Well, then there's something magical happening. Is there a third way? Well, yes, the Reformation taught us a third way of looking at it that isn't magical. And it's not merely remembering. Um, But these texts, 1 Peter 3.21 and... Colossians 2, they they emphasize there's something more. It's hard. We have to think. We have to take time and study God's word and pray and seek the Spirit's leading to understand what's going on. If it's not magical, if Rome isn't right, then how is it not merely a memorial? But these texts demand that we accept that it's more than just memory of something that... These sacraments are tied to something more. We'll come back to that in a moment. So the Bible does not view the sacraments as magical on the one extreme. You've done it, therefore. And it doesn't view them as merely a place where we remember something on the other side. Not merely a place where we remember something. It is a place where we remember something. But it doesn't stop there. And so we come to the the two positives that the Protestant Reformation uh, drew out from the scriptures, I think, quite appropriately. 
that the scriptures show two things that we are to think about the sacraments. First, the sacraments are signs. And this is where the remembrance does come in, doesn't it? A sign, a a memorial, there's a relationship between those two thoughts. A sign causes us to remember. And uh, the question then becomes this. What is the sign causing us to remember? Here's where I think we go wrong in Protestantism in America. We, we get into thinking of it as a mere memorial because we've forgotten what the sign points to. So if I was to go into 20 evangelical churches in America and ask, what does the sign of baptism point to? What does it cause you to remember? Well, remember the day that I professed my faith publicly, that uh, uh, I decided to follow Jesus. But is that it? Is it remembering that I chose Christ? I made a decision for Christ. I think even among the Reformed, often that's how we think of baptism. Um, I'm sure with the Lord's Supper, we could do some similar experiment with what people are thinking about when we think about the Lord's Supper. (laughs) But you see, the sign in Scripture isn't as much about us. It's about Him. With the Lord's Supper, that's very explicit, isn't it? When he uses that word that we take memoriam, memorial, remembrance, in 1 Corinthians, do this in remembrance of what? Of your decision to follow me. What a great day. Remember, remember that. No, do this in remembrance of me. And he's saying this, of course, with the intent that they would remember what about him? That he washed their feet, that he broke the bread, and that he went to the cross. And of course, we can never stop there as Christians. That he went to the cross, entered the tomb, and didn't stay there. The Lord's Supper is a sign that points us outside of ourselves. It points us to heaven's high throne where the Son of Man sits and reigns, having accomplished our salvation. But... But baptism also points to him. Baptism. Think, um, think for example, of some of these texts that uh, are a little difficult because it sounds almost magical. Colossians 2, 1 Peter chapter 3, where, where it says, oh, now baptism saves. And, and then he qualifies. It's what baptism points to that is your salvation. But you see, think about your baptism, Peter seems to be saying. Think about your baptism. (coughs) Excuse me. You didn't save yourself. You didn't wash yourself. You were washed. Think about, we could stretch it a little. Peter doesn't take us to the Lord's Supper, but think about the Lord's Supper. Do you feed yourself on Christ? No. Who, who broke the bread? Yeah, th- this is important because part of that magical view in the re- uh, during the Reformation, the magical view of Rome was that uh, the priest, as he broke the bread, 
If you did it wrong, you might not get grace today. That's why Luther, when he spilled the wine early on in his career, before he came to the book of Galatians, Luther spilled the wine the first time he was giving communion to people. It got all over the nice white tablecloth and they didn't have bleach in a washing machine. And it was a big deal. He spilled Christ. And that might affect whether or not you're blessed there. One of the problems with all of that, beyond the magical element, as if we could do something that would hurt Christ or stop his grace. Part of the problem is that even thinking of the priest as performing the thing, they call it a mass, that sacrifice. Now, in the Reformed tradition, it's still ordained ministers of the word who give forth the elements. But what's the difference? I'm delivering to you what Paul delivered to me, what Christ delivered to Paul. And it is Christ who broke the bread and Christ who gave the wine. And so it's not this magical function I perform. It's a sign pointing you back to him who does the work. The sacraments are signs to drive us to Christ above anything else. That's where that uh, sacrament uh, definition we did together in the Shorter Catechism comes in. The sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein, by sensible signs, that, that is, physical, tangible things, bread and wine, water, Christ, Christ is represented. Christ, not you, and not your decision, but Christ is represented, sealed, and applied to believers. And with Christ, who is the yes, name, and all the promises of God, our catechism there says, and the benefits of the new covenant. Why? In Christ you get those benefits. So the sacraments point us, they are a remembrance, but they're a remembrance of the one who saves, the Savior, the mediator, not of us. And I, I think we lose a lot when we forget that. The, the whole Protestant idea of, quote, improving your baptism, which doesn't mean make your baptism better. It means as you grow older, keep thinking about the day you were baptized. The fact that you were baptized, whether or not you're remembering the actual event, because maybe you were baptized as an infant, but reflecting on it and saying, I'm a baptized person for benefit, to remind you of what? Luther used that comment a lot. He would say to Satan, because he had conversations with Satan, more than you and I probably do, most of us. But he would say, I am a baptized man. Satan's tempting him. I'm a baptized man. What was he saying? Well, I chose the right way in the first place, and I've made myself quite pure, so you've got nothing on me, Satan. No, of course, what Luther was saying was, Christ did something to me and in me. And he's not going to mess up. He's not going to fail. The work he began, he will complete. And I am not my own. These are all the types of things that Luther had in his head as he said that. And that the 
the Puritans had in their minds when they spoke of improving our baptisms. They, they are signs, remembrances, but not of us, that point to the gospel. Here's an interesting thing about baptism and the Lord's Supper as signs, the sacraments as signs. They act as signs to unbelievers as well. Have you ever thought of that? An unbeliever who is in the room three weeks ago, three weeks ago or or whatever it was at Covenant Church, an unbeliever could have been sitting there. They could have seen Sam and Titus Titus presented for baptism, Samuel stepping forward for baptism. They could have observed. And, And while not fully grasping at all, they could have at least gotten this far if they were listening. That the gospel is something to do with washing. Right? That there's a, a sign, and the unbeliever may not accept the gospel. And they may think it's quite stupid or isn't, isn't that cute, a little water applied to the head. But they can at least get as far with the sign as saying, oh, oh, th- this is pointing us to something about this thing they call the gospel. An unbeliever can be in the room and observe the Lord's Supper and say, so this gospel that I don't believe in, but these gullible people who showed up here are taking this thing, and in their minds there's something to do with, with nourishment? Something to do with sitting around a table and having fellowship with each other and God? Right? The, the sign can point the unbeliever even to the gospel. Now they suppress that truth and unrighteousness as they do the preaching of the word and the reading of the word and your, your witness. But there's something about the sign that even an unbeliever can see. That's an amazing thing. And that's actually why the, the reformed on the European continent in the Reformation, they talk about two means of grace, the word and the sacraments. And they emphasize the word and the sacraments. Both are used by God to save sinners. Actually save sinners. Have you thought about that? They weren't saying because someone receives baptism, they're saved. They're saying that an unbeliever can see the sign. And the Holy Spirit can use it for their salvation. An astonishing thing. Well, then the other positive thing about the sacraments, so it is, sacraments are signs, but they are not merely signs or merely remembrances or merely memorials. Sacraments are also seals of the covenant of grace. Think of a seal and uh, what it accomplished in the ancient world. We we still have this a little bit with notary public, right? Uh, you get it notarized. There's the stamp. And it says, no, this is official. Nathan didn't print this off on his computer and then come and claim that, you know, he was authorized to do something. You have to at least convince a notary to lie with you to, to get it to work. There, there's something official about that. And in the ancient world, that, of course, was a big deal. You had the seal on the document. And if it was unbroken... It showed the authenticity of the note you were about to receive. It also sometimes, I think we talked about this when we looked at the book of Revelation, four, three years ago? Anyway, whenever that was, 
that seals also served in the Roman world as a sign of admittance. If you got invited to a party, you might be given a a little white stone. That was the the seal that guaranteed that you had the, the actual thing. You might have the seal stamped on the invitation and it showed that you were not only receiving something from the actual king, but that that king then was permitting you to enter into his presence. And so the sacraments, they're not mere memorials. They don't only point us to something. Remember how we confess this together. What is a sacrament concludes with that this is an ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented. That's the sign sealed and applied to believers. So it doesn't just image something for you to remember, but the scriptures tell us that the sacraments actually do something within you when received by faith. Westminster goes out of its way with baptism to point out that the, the value of that is not necessarily tied to the moment you were baptized. How many people, and not just infants, were baptized and then they're converted years later? The history is full of people who walked forward at a revival service. Seventy people got baptized tonight at the revival service, and then two of them show up for church ever again. But history is full of people who on their deathbeds confessed that all of that years ago, 50 years ago, I was baptized. It meant nothing. He was never a convert. And then is converted at the deathbed. And history shows many instances where in those moments, they reflect back on their baptism. God is using it then. Now the value of it's not applied till the faith is present. But there's still a value to it there. Or the Lord's Supper, how many take it in vain? Then after their conversion, they say, I, I never understood the value of this, right? How, how much and how rich this is important. The, the sacraments are sealed. And one of the things they seal to the believer is certainty of the promises of God. You hear the word preached. Maybe you hear a sermon on something like John 7. Come to me and uh, I have the water of life. I'm, I'm not even quoting it right. I just read it to you a few minutes ago in our service. Where Christ said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You might hear that as a, a sermon. And then you receive that little tiny, itsy bitsy droplet of grape juice. And the Spirit uses the event of the Lord's Supper to drive home the point of the word preached. And it seals to you that these promises are for you. Belgic Confession has that wonderful line in it. The just as certain as we handle the bread with our fingers that we taste it and roll the wine around on our tongues just as certainly faith which is the hands and the mouth 
of the soul tastes and receives Christ. Astonishing. If you've never taken time to read the Belgic Confession on the Lord's Supper, astonishing that you're really receiving the benefits and the promises uh, that Christ made 2,000 years ago when you take the supper by faith, when you receive the waters of baptism and reflect back on it, you are experiencing the yes and amen of God to hold you over until you see him face to face. The sacraments are not mere memorials. They do include that, but they are also a seal and a guarantee. And that's where we read in the Westminster Confession there that that statement about sacramental union. Doesn't a phrase like that just give you a headache, probably? Right? What in the world? You, you look at it, you look at the paragraph three or four times and you say, I still don't know what they're talking about. What they're talking about is Colossians 2 and 1 Peter, where Paul and Peter speak of the spiritual reality of your salvation, but they refer to it as the sacrament. Colossians 2, you, circumcision, oh, heart circumcision. And then notice what Paul does there. He flips from Old Testament to New Testament sacrament. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements against you, etc. But he refers to it uh, right there as baptism in verse 12. Sacramental union is that although the sacraments aren't magical, there is such a close tie between these natural elements And the spiritual reality that when you partake by faith, you can use the language of one to refer to the other. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is really working grace within you as you approach the sacraments by faith. He's really doing it. There was something really sealed as that water hit your head a few weeks ago. The reality was already true for you. May or may not have been true for Titus in that moment. But the grace is there. And you can realize it. Titus has not already been brought to faith in his infant heart by the Holy Spirit. Maybe someday when he is. But the value will be applied then in the same way that you know the value having just received it. There's a reality, a tie between these two things. Well, so much more could be said. Our heads may be spinning at all of this distinction. But I hope you see that we, when we understand the Reformed confessional views of the sacraments as both signs and seals of the covenant of grace, we understand the right balance in our view of the sacraments. We don't sway from side to side. Uh, from direction into in one direction mysticism 
of the pastor as a, a kind of a, a magician transforming things and, and making even unbelievers suddenly believers because they have water applied or take the bread. But on the other hand, it's not a mere act of, of uh, remembrance, but there's actually grace conferred by the Holy Spirit through, the pers- uh, through faith in the person's heart. So with all of that before us this evening, I, I don't know who's on the other side of this camera. And also, I only uh, I can't read your heart. So I'm going to make two points. One, in case any of you have never truly believed. And then I'll come to who I think you all are, you as believers. But to the unbeliever, if there are any here this evening who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, who have not placed their exclusive hope in Christ alone, by the work of the Spirit applied to us, apart from our works, the first thing is, don't partake of the sacrament. Because as 1 Corinthians says, it will not do you good without faith. It will do you harm. Don't partake. But that's different from refraining to observe. Observe it. See the sign. See the believers present partaking, enjoying fellowship with each other, enjoying one bread and one cup. For we being many are one in Christ. Observe that. Dwell on it. And then cry out to God that the scales would be removed from your eyes. And that you would, even through this sacrament tonight, see Christ and not just bread and juice. And then you who are believers, who partake tonight, my prayer is that you have an exceedingly high expectation from what we're about to do. Sometimes it can be easy to have a low expectation. Like when there's a handful of us in a room. And, and I prepared far more bread and juice than we will all use. Uh, it can be easy to think in a lowly discouraged fashion about what we're about to do. But having a right view of the sacraments should cause you to say, there is a great thing about to happen. Just as surely as a full loaf eaten by myself would nourish my stomach. This little piece taken by faith, I am nourished on Christ. And a little of Christ nourishes an infinite way. You should have a high expectation for what you are about to receive. That by taking it through faith, the Holy Spirit will strengthen and nourish you in the faith for the life ahead in this week. So we don't just sit here thinking, oh, an image of Christ dying for me. We think of what that guaranteed. He died for me. Therefore, I live with him. Colossians 2. And because I live with him, I have fellowship with you. And fellowship with all the saints. And one day we'll eat at a great feast, which will taste a lot better than this. Have a high expectation as we partake tonight. Let's pray.